What's that you say? You gotta turn on the radio. Okay. You got to listen to Prohibition Radio with Emma Claire. You got to listen to Prohibition Radio with Emma Claire. Hi, I'm Emma Claire and welcome to the Prohibition Radio Show. This is our interview series and this month it is the turn of Atom Smith, all the way from LA. Now, if you don't know Atom, he used to be part of a production duo called the Gentleman Callers of LA. Since then, he's gone on to enjoy a glittering solo career with a string of successful hits spanning the entire electro swing and vintage remix spectrum. So I'm super excited to have him as a guest on the show. I'm going to hand you over now to Atom and Anuk. So I hope you enjoy listening to their interview. Hey buddy, do you like to swing? Come with me. You're listening to Emma Claire. Of all things swinging that prohibition radio, 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 radio. Hey, you uh, you went in the waiting room long, were you? No, no, actually, I uh, I was worried that uh, I was gonna miss you because I was uh, getting myself a fresh cup of coffee and taking a pee and all the stuff you got to do before <laughs> you jump into a Zoom. <laughs> nice, mate, nice. Yeah, with the time difference, it's like I'm thinking. Yeah, I couldn't have a coffee this late, but no, 11 a.m. is fine for a coffee for you. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm, I'm drinking decaf these days anyways, trying not to get too jacked up. Uh, why is that? Yeah, you know, I'm just, I think I'm, I'm being a little more health conscious, you know, uh, these days and trying to get a little more exercise in, uh, trying to, uh, you know, I don't drink any soda, pop or anything like that. I, nice. So I just, uh, you know, eating more vegetables, fruit. Sounds sounds like me, mate. We're getting old. Yeah, you, at some point you got to stop taking your health for granted. You actually have to start taking care of yourself. It's true, mate. It's true. Thanks for joining us. For those listeners that may not have heard of you, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm Adam Smith. I used to be a member, uh, half of the Gentleman Callers. Uh, these days, I've I've gone solo, and um, I'm out of uh, Los Angeles, California. Um, I'm a producer, musician, songwriter. Yeah, working out of working out of LA. Nice, nice. So you said one half of the Gentleman Callers of LA. The other half was Book Down. Yes, right. And I've seen you sharing some of his stuff on Facebook. So I assume it wasn't a, it, it wasn't an unhappy split. Um, no, that's. <laughs> It was kind of an unhappy split, actually. Yeah, it, 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 uh, I've worked with Buck for, I would say, f- at least 15 years. We, we were in a previous project called The Mutator together. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, creative differences and probably a little, you know, taking each other for granted and dispensing with pleasantries and niceties kind of wore the the relationship out over time and uh you know we were we're doing some cool stuff we've done a lot of cool stuff together uh we've played you know just about every festival in america and we've you know traveled all over the world and and uh done some really exciting things together but um i think it was it was time to uh as all good things do uh it was time for that to come to an end and to 
for us to go on our separate courses. Some sometimes projects can can run their course, can't they? You know, and that's uh, that that happens. I'm sure you wish him the best. Yeah, <laughs> I definitely do, and I think I think you know, like like all relationships, like friendships, like marriages, like dating. You know, I I think I think every relationship has, you know, has has a has a lifespan, and sometimes you know, sometimes it's it's a couple of years, sometimes it's. 15 years sometimes it's life uh but you know knowing the difference between those that are in your life forever and those that are more seasonal like oh yeah we had a great summer together you know like i think that's part of maturing yeah for sure mate for sure but um that's led you you know that, that's given you time to explore your individual sound doesn't it so yeah exactly recently exactly. you've been putting out a lot more stuff under you know the atom smith name You've been very active with Freshly Squeezed. Tell us a bit how that relationship got built. So, yeah, actually, uh, when, when Buck and I first started the Gentleman Callers, um, Freshly Squeezed was very top of our list of labels we wanted to work with. But I think at, at the time, you know, we, we weren't quite ready. Our, our first tracks, you know, weren't very, well, they weren't very developed. And, uh, but we did wind up going to Glastonbury, which was you know, one of the festivals that had always been a dream for both of us. We're like, oh, yeah, let's, let's do this. Nice. And that's where we met uh, Nick Hollywood and spent some time with him. Just kind of gelled. It was, a good, it was a good friendship. And when, when uh, Nick came to Los Angeles, maybe like the following year, I forget exactly when it was, I, I made a point of you know, meeting up with him and taking him around a bit. A friendship kind of you know, formed from there. And I sent him some tracks after he got back from LA stuff I'd been working on on my own um namely the flashing like Gatsby and uh uh bright like Hollywood you know one of those one of those early ones I, I kind of sent him those and he was like yeah oh I would, I would totally put that out so, oh, <laughs> so we started working. yeah it worked out great I think that um for the newer people who are listening or the, the people who are perhaps young DJs young producers one thing that you've just hit on there is cultivating sort of relationships. And yeah. I think that especially in a scene that's quite, you know, everybody knows each other really for the most part within the electro swing scene. Right. That's, that's super important, isn't it? You know, you, you, you couldn't treat it as if it was like a, a faceless promoter or, you know, people talk, people know. And, you know, if you're a nice guy in the scene, that, that pays dividends. And I think that's really important for new producers to get their heads around. It's like, you know, w within a music scene, it can be like a wider family. And, you know, you hit the nail on the head there by saying, yeah, cultivating relationship. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's an excellent point. I think uh, a lot of music scenes can be very competitive. Uh, I know, you know, certainly out here, the, you know, the rock music scene, you know, the, the sunset strip and all that can be uh, cutthroat. Every moment that you spend in the spotlight is like, a, is me being in the dark. You know, it's a zero sum game. And that's one of the things I love about the electro swing community is that it's, it's not like that. I mean, people are very supportive. They want to hear what you're working on. They want to promote if, you know, especially if they, if they dig what you're doing. Um, and I think, you know, that kind of a, uh, cultivating that kind of a friendship, having, having like a, um, you know, similar interests and similar ideas about things. It was kind of funny. Like when, when Nick was out, one of the things we did was we, uh, 
we took him on a uh, on a fishing boat. And, uh, <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, so we went fishing. He didn't he didn't fish. He didn't want to touch any fish or anything. But he, you know, he was a champ, and he went along for the trip. And um, afterwards, we were looking for a bite to eat, and we uh, stumbled upon this you know kind of nice hotel that was just on the uh, that was on the, right on the beach. There was probably like six of us walking around, and we 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 walked into the lobby, and uh, Nick found this old record player with like a bunch of records that didn't look like anyone had turned it on in like 20 years. And it's like, Hey, I wonder if this works. And he turned it on and he starts digging through the creative records. Like, Hey, this is actually a great record. I'm going to put it on. And he just kind of starts DJing freestyle. And like every choice he made was great. You know, we we're just like, Oh, great choice, man. That was perfect. So he just kind of had this, you have that like-mindedness, you know, and you're like, all right, this is a guy, you know, I would be friends with and I like what he's doing and he's definitely an audiophile and he definitely understands and loves music. And, uh, you know, so it's just a, a natural fit. Yeah. I definitely feel that way about others too. Another guy I really like, I've uh, spent some time with him, um, is Pisk, uh, Roberto. Oh yeah. He's from the swing growers. He's another, I can just tell he's, he's, you know, quite a bit younger than I am, but, we have similar sensibilities and, you know, when, when he's been out our way, uh, you know, we make every effort to get, to get them gigs and stuff. But I, I enjoy just kind of seeing what he's working on and seeing what he's thinking about and, you know, seeing the, the rough cut of whatever video they're working on. And Did you just, um, were you in his latest video that was done for yeah. Horny? Yeah, I was, I was in that. I'm the guy <laughs> in the blue robe. <laughs> that's an excellent video that oh yeah no i love it it's it's an excellent way of solving the problem of how do you make a video when we're in quarantine and I've, i'll be honest with you like we're struggling with the same issue um right now we have a we have a video uh for the single that just came out we uh yeah so the single came out last just a few days ago on friday uh coming up swinging and we got about half of it shot. Then everything got into lockdown and we weren't allowed to be around people anymore. And we were going to film the last half of it in a club, but the club had to close down the doors. Oh no. So we're, yeah. So we're kind of, it's kind of a disaster. And we were trying to like, we're trying to film other things as safely as possible to kind of finish the video. But the way you know, the way the swing growers did, or the, the, the way uh, Roberto did it with uh, with Horny, uh, was perfect. Just crowdsourcing. It was, it was making really the best out of a bad situation, wasn't it? You know, no one appreciated you being exactly. locked down or losing gigs or any sort of opportunities like for recording or anything that, that you were booked exactly in the next few months. But made the best of the situation, you know. And in some ways, the lockdown's been good for me. Um, you know, I think we uh, we had a we had a few gigs lined up, but um, one of the you know there's there's one gig that comes around L.A. every year. It's, it's been it's been uh, a regular thing for ten years in L.A., <clears throat> fifteen years in San Francisco, and this was the first year that they just canceled it, and it, it was actually just before the whole quarantine thing, but you know, so there was, I don't know, the, the crowd in LA is very fickle. They really, yeah. 
they're really only like a couple of different kinds of music. You know, the nightlife in general, like it really has to be very specific. You know, if you, if you, it's been very difficult to, to cultivate an audience for electro swing in Los Angeles. Um, it's just a difficult city. It's hard to explain. But, uh, you know, so some of the successful gigs disappearing has been kind of disappointing. And then when, you know, when COVID-19 struck, all the gigs went away. <laughs> like people yeah. gathering together in any kind of a, a concert or any kind of a room just all went away, uh, which was disappointing. But for me, it's actually given me the opportunity to, um, to really work on some of the older songs that I had started, but was having difficulty finding the time to finish. You know, there's only so many hours in the day. And I think as if you're a DJ who likes to tour and you're a producer who likes to create music, uh, you know, one, one is succeeding while the other suffers. I mean, you can't really do both unless you don't sleep. <laughs> um, which as you get older, you know, sleep becomes more important. So you're not going to, you know, you're not going to give that up. It's got to be eight, eight hours a day minimum. Right. <laughs> exactly. You mentioned coming up swinging earlier. So that's yeah. your, that's your latest single. So, uh, two weeks ago, um, a Caro Emerald remix called that man came out and that was, that was something I was, really excited about because i it's actually that song's actually been done for about a year this is another classic like insider music industry thing that seems to happen a lot to me um is the label loves loves you the label you know hires you to do a remix and then the person that actually hired you to do the remix you know uh it's it's time for them to retire. They've been doing the same job for 15 years, but you know, when you, they sign you and they, and they line up that one single, that's when they move on to the next job. Yeah. <laughs> so everything kind of gets lost in the shuffle. And like, you know, the label was super excited about the remix. I was super excited about doing the remix and then nothing for like a year. I didn't hear a word. And finally, you know, the new guy who replaced her, came on is like hey this remix is great we're gonna release it i was like oh perfect great i'm so glad so yeah remix came out two weeks ago um fantastic song great artist obviously Kara emerald is you know she's a legend yeah and uh that record did very well you know 10 or so years ago uh, and i think they were kind of celebrating the success of the record and they want to do, do some remixes and i was lucky enough to kind of get in on that and so that came out, and I think that's doing very well. The response has been great. And so hot on the heels of that, about a, I, was, I think we were actually going to release Coming Up Swinging on the same day. But then we decided to wait a couple of weeks. And so, yeah, Probably that wise. came out in May, and Coming Up Swinging came out early June. Yeah. Excellent. And you mentioned that Carol Emerald, a bit of a legend in, in modern times. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your modern influences. When you're producing, what would you say are your main influences, or are you start producing and whatever happens happens? That's that's a good question. So I, I one nice thing about living in Los Angeles and having been in um, so the the biggest band I was in previous to this was a band called the Mutator, yeah, and. Uh, I still, it was, I, I say big in terms of 
actual size, the uh, there were no fewer than 20 people on stage at any given time. I've seen and, a little uh, bit on YouTube, actually. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, you, you saw. I mean, there's, there's you know, we divide, divided it up into, like, the music team and the uh, performance team. So there was, you know, fire spinners and hoopers and, and weird characters and life-size puppets and explosions and fire techniques and stuff like that. But then there was also just a massive band. We had, you know, several drummers and a couple of bass players and full horn section. And so I've stayed in touch with all of these musicians and definitely had some ideas. Um, I've been in, I've always done, you know, I'm, I'm not brand new at this. And like, you know, one of the things I've always really enjoyed doing is meshing live with robots i love you know, <laughs> having like really killer performers come in and just you know do like ripping sax solo or something but put it in to you know this very you know robotic and electronic kind of a sound i've never been a good enough producer to um convincingly copy any particular genre or any particular style. So it always kind of winds up for better or for worse. It always kind of comes out sounding like something I would do. That's, that's putting, quite a positive thing though, you know, to there's a lot of people that aspire for that and spend the whole, you know, production lives, at, at, you know, aiming to attain a sound that is unique. And I think right. one, one, one thing that I've come across from all of the people I've been speaking to both in recent months in, in these podcasts, but also, you know, through 20 plus years of, of DJing, producing, promoting myself, is that m there is that definite split between people who just tend to do what they do and have attained sort of quite a unique sound and those who then try and emulate that. And I think you're in a very lucky position to have found your unique sound. And in, in many ways, it sort of has helped to shape the genre, hasn't it? Yeah, I think it's, it's a weakness that became a strength. You know, I knew that I loved you know, jazz. I've always, I've always really loved jazz and swing. And, and I like, I like the complexity of it. And I like the, the chord structures and I like, you know, just playing with different, um, you know, melodic ideas. And I also really like EDM and dance music and bass music. And, uh, you know, I think combining those two styles even using some traditional, like, you know, um, uh, you know, two, five, one song structure and Tin Pan Alley kind of style songs, you know, but reinventing them. I like to think of it almost as like an advanced alien civilization, you know, coming, coming to earth in the twenties <laughs> and like, hearing this far out like weird earthling music and trying to make it themselves, but like kind of messing it up in a way. <laughs> like, that's, that's what I like to think I'm doing is like taking these, these cool elements from a bygone era and combining them with, you know, things that I'm interested in sound design and things like that. I, I love that, mate. I love that. There's one, um, one influence on your Facebook page in the about section, which really yeah. It really caught my eye. Reason being, he's probably my biggest influence. So I thought I've got to ask you about that. 
First of all, let me see if I can guess who it is before you before you reveal. Go on. Eno? Yeah, of course. <laughs> okay. Hey. <laughs> it's almost like I can read your mind. There you go. There you go. Yeah. No, Brian Eno. Brian Eno is is a huge, huge influence, not just because of his music, because some of his music is pretty out there. You know, he's done a lot of cool stuff. You know, prog rock kind of stuff to ambient kind of stuff. Um, I, of course, you know, adore the ambient stuff. And a lot of his prog rock stuff I really dig. But it's, yeah. it's also a big part of his influence on me is his approach to producing and his approach to music. So it's, it's even less about the product, the end product, and more about the methodology Mm. Um, for example, you know, like he has, I'm sure you're aware, um, he has, he and another guy, something Schmidt, Eric Schmidt, I think designed, um, a set of playing cards and they yeah. were designed to overcome writer's block. Yeah. You know, yeah. so like if you're, if you're in the studio, like this song is going nowhere, what do I do? Oh, wait, I've got this deck of cards over here and you lift it over. And it's like, you know, one of the, uh, one of the recommendations might be like, Make the weakness the strength. It, yeah, yeah it was like, the oblique strategies. Oblique deck, strategies. Yes. Yeah. And his approach to, to life and philosophy and, and production and um, even having a simple strategies to finishing music, like, uh, you know, we've all experienced sitting down to your DAW of choice, you know, live or logic. And it's just like, where do I even start? There's like thousands <laughs> of sounds, you know, and one of his big philosophies was, um, you know, limit your choices, you know, go through your samples ahead of time or go through your sound banks ahead of time. And, and rather than having like 4,000, you know, banks of sounds that you could choose from pick like 12 and mark them. You know, this is a sound I really like. It's a sound I'm going to use a lot. I can tweak it a little bit if I need to, but limit your choices so you're not always, you know, facing that that avalanche of decisions to make. It's a fantastic, fantastic approach. Not just that specific one you've highlighted, but overall having something that pushes you outside of your comfort zone or outside of the box thinking. I really like that. And like you say, it wasn't just his ambient stuff that inspired myself you know some of his essays and right. i think he i think he was just an all-around clever chap or rather is a clever chap that yeah was inspirational on a, on a few levels and, and for me it was his ambient music rather than his prog rock but you know i could see me too. yeah me too I, I could see the appeal across the board and and seeing stuff you know that he'd done with fripp and his brother as well you know that, that right. their whole movement that they had between them was you know pretty inspirational for me and he has this one book, I forget exactly what it's called, but it's, it's basically like his diary from a year of being mm -hmm. Brian Eno. And it's, you know, it, it goes from, you know, working on a record with James to attending a concert in like Ireland uh, of Bjork and then winding up in like a hot tub later with like the guys from U2 and like just... <laughs> All of his conversations and just like his whole lifestyle is just like, yes, I want, I want that. That's what I want. Proper, like proper rock star, but in the most understated way. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. He's not, he's not throwing TVs out of, you know, hotel windows or anything. He's, 
talking to people and listening to music and discussing philosophy. I, I love it. Amongst those sort of more, I mean, obviously he's still relevant and still producing, but of that era uh, or, or of that generation, what other inspirations have you had that you've sort of taken a hold of and used to help create your music? Well, I've always loved Kraftwerk, of course. I've always loved Depeche Mode, of course. Nice. Um, that's definitely music that I, you know, electronic music that I kind of grew up uh, hearing. There was, you know, in the in the like mid to early '90s, there was a lot of, you know, in particular a lot of British music. Honestly, mm. um, for some reason, for like such a small country and such a small place, like you all come out with like an enormous amount of excellent music. It's like a boiling pot of uh, of music, you know, and I think wider, the UK as a whole has a couple of little epicenters, you know, right away from the 60s, there was the Liverpool sort of scene, oh, yeah. Beatles, et cetera, and then, you know, how a lot of urban music emanated from London, but, right. then, but then Manchester was synonymous with house and rave and, you know, the early 90s. That sort right. Of and honestly, like all that, like the Beatles are probably like my favorite band if I had to pick one. Um, but also, you know, there was a lot happening with, um, you know, that, that kind of rave music. I remember like, you know, Opus 3 and I remember uh, you know, listening to stuff like, um, geez, like, like Orbital and... Massive. William Orbit, all the orbs, you know, the orb, all the orbs. Orbit, orbital, <laughs> exactly. You know, like there's just like a lot of, a lot of like cool electronic music happening overseas. Cause I think there was a scene and, and a pirate radio scene that really supported it. So there's a lot of good stuff coming out over here. We had bands like, um, meet beat manifesto was yeah. a big one. He was, you know, he was great at coming up with like, really good grooves with really deep bass and really complex rhythms and very psychedelic at the same time. Like I really like as much as I love jazz and like, you know, and, and uh, you know, even rock and roll, like I've, for me, if it's not a little bit psychedelic, it's not music. <laughs> like, well, I think that's one thing that, you know, the American rock and prog scene and that, that, sort of generation sort of 60s and 70s did really really well you know you had like well an obvious example grateful dead and and how they sort of were synonymous with that sort of psychedelia yeah. and um yeah that, that was one thing that i think you you guys did very very well that then went on to inspire a whole next generation and you know outside of the electro swing i'm super eclectic i you know i listen to and dj a lot of techno and a lot of side trance as well and it's right. nice to it's nice to have a few different influences i find if if you're just locked into a specific genre what i've recognized is you can become very good at that and you know you could just basically really really formulaic right i'm going to write some techno i'm going to write some swing or i'm going to write some ambient whatever that that may be yeah but when you start dipping in and out of other genres and then bringing them together you can end up with quite a few happy accidents. You know, stuff goes in a direction you wouldn't normally expect or, you know, things evolve a little bit. And I quite enjoy that, you know. Yeah, me too. Another thing that can help make that happen is collaboration. 
which is something, uh, you know, since, since splitting ways with my, my last partner, uh, it's really opened me up to try different collaborations and, uh, really unexpected results have come out of that. And that's a lot of fun. You know, I'll, I'll get a track to a certain point and then, especially somebody you trust, you know, rather than just handing it over to <laughs> just somebody, um, handing it over to somebody who's like, I know they're going to have their own ideas about this. You know, let's see what they come up with. Let's see what they, let's see what meat they put on the table. Uh, that's been a lot of fun for me. It's, it's really interesting. You mentioned that sort of evolution of music. We normally, before an interview, open up our Facebook to some fan questions. And we've just had one from uh, electro swing vocalist Alana Lies, who oh, has, yeah. ju- has just dropped a question. Quote, there's been a lot of talk about the need to keep electro swing evolving and breaking boundaries. What are your thoughts on this and how do you see your own music aiding this? End quote. That... For well, I should point out that Alana and I just finished a couple of songs. She she contributed. <laughs> That's a well-timed question from her. Yeah, we she contributed some vocals to a song I was working on because we you know we've we kind of connected a couple of years ago, but didn't really make any moves on it. It didn't really work together. And then to help her out, I, I produced a track that she had been working on, which came out great. I mean. Just, just hang in there because like Alana's about to come out with some great stuff. Yeah, I spoke to her uh, a couple of weeks ago. We just had her on the last episode. She's uh, she didn't divulge too much, but uh, I believe her fans and whatnot are in for a treat. Yeah, well, she's she's a real talent. She has uh, a very powerful voice. She can sing on key. Uh, her lyrics are great. So uh, I know she's I know she's biding her time and I know she's making some music and, and waiting for the right moment to spring and she's going to spring and it's going to be great. Uh, but she's right. I think, or the question is a good question. As much as I love electro swing and even the term electro swing in America anyways, I don't know if you guys have struggled with this as well. We've struggled with like whether we should use that word. Yes. You know, like this is going to be an electro swing party. Is that going to be a, a plus or a minus? <laughs> is that going to be an eye roll or is that going to be a hell yeah, I'm there? You know, like you don't really know. And I think part of that is because, you know, the genre has kind of gone through, I think, some some growth spurts and then some plateaus where it's like, okay, well, everything kind of sounds the same now. And it really hasn't. You know, there was that one song that kind of did it perfect. And then there was those 30 songs that kind of tried to approximate what that one song was doing. And they did a pretty good job. You know, so you kind of wind up with this, you know, almost like when you, uh, you know, like when you inbreed dogs. (laughs) You you get like a really definite dog, you know, for sure. Like, oh, yeah, we got we want to create a pug with like big eyes and a short nose. And like the way to do that is to keep inbreeding, inbreeding. And you nail that one thing, but the dog itself isn't very healthy. And I think... That's a perfect analogy. (laughs) There's definitely downsides to inbreeding. I think we can agree. (laughs) Right. Right. You know, and that's that's why, you know, I, I was kind of thinking like, all right, so I got this guy who's like an amazing rapper. Wouldn't it be kind of funny to like have like a proper big band horn arrangement 
with like a rapper, but then like some, you know, some like really like kind of like bass music elements with grindy things and glitch. Like it just, to me, it sounded funny. Yeah. And it was, it kind of, you know, I think my, my style tends to be maybe like 20% more aggressive than, than most electro swing that I hear. I tend to make it a little faster and a little harder, not, not over the top, but that's something that I purposely kind of put in there because it's what I'm looking for when I'm putting together a DJ set. Yeah. Keeping interesting influences. I, I think the fact that it kind of went into like a drum and bass way and like more of a glitch hop kind of a way. And, you know, it wasn't all just like swing house, I think is, is, is a good thing. I think uh, uh, keeping the influences fresh, I think really helps keep, you know, the, the genre fresh. 100% agree with you. I know you guys are miles apart, but when we spoke to Speaker Freaks recently, yeah, um, you know, comments were made in a similar manner of that slightly bass-heavy sound, a little bit of an influence of electro, and you know, sort of drawing on a few different influences to keep the gene pool sort of fresh, so to speak. Was, yeah, you know, was the way to go. And do you think that's an? A, 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 you mentioned that it's sort of difficult for electro swing to get a foothold in LA. And do you think that that's uh, due to perceptions from previous tracks, or do they like it bass heavier than it than it stereotypically is? Or so here's the thing, and it, it it's a head scratcher. Believe me, when I, we opened up for Caravan Palace when they when they came two years ago, sold out show. I mean, the place was totally mobbed, and like nice. people loved it. We opened up for Parav Stellar a couple of years ago when he came in the town packed house. So the Nokia center was just like there. I, I I'm sure it was sold out. So people definitely do like that kind of music, even if they don't really know what it's called. Yeah. <laughs> like a, the, the typical American doesn't really know what electro swing is. I think that's part of the problem. And the ones that do, you know, maybe got hooked into like, Oh yeah, I really discovered that like around 2013, and like, you know, obsessed over it and got tired of it and moved on. You know, so there's a couple of things kind of working on it. But L.A. in general is a difficult city for live events and live music because there's so many big players here. Marshall, Professor Watson and I uh, have tried to do a few things here. And there's another party that started in San Francisco called Trapeze. And we were doing trapeze parties here in LA. And those were small, but the people that came, I would say, you know, usually around 250 to 400 people tops, a small but loyal following. Like people really did like those parties. That's quite so a good attendance, you know, perhaps, yeah. not, perhaps not when you're comparing it to a stadium size or arena size gig, but you know, for, from a small country, and especially in Manchester, where the scene's not quite as big as London, um, especially for electro swing, 400 is a good attendance, but, you know, it doesn't compare to the same as maybe like, you know, a big house event or... Right, well, EDM. the problem comes with, with growing it. So, like, you know, you can... The, the, the 250 to 400 was, you know, at more or less like Burning Man style events where somebody would own a warehouse or something and you could do it at the warehouse. But yeah. when you try to cross over from the underground into like the mainstream and you start playing like, you know, actual rooms that people have heard of, like if you were going to try to book like a, 
intellectual swing party at say like the Viper Room, you know, the world famous Viper Room on the Sunset Strip. There's so many big players that, you know, that own those nights. So they're, they're going to own, there's going to be a promoter that owns Friday night and a promoter that owns Saturday night. And they don't take risks on events that are not going to just completely sell out. Like they have to sell out every time. So it's not, I find, you know, as, as a touring musician, I find like if we, if we get out of LA, even by just a couple of hours, if you go to Phoenix or if you go to, you know, Idaho, it's easier to cultivate, you know, a, a big, a bigger party going like, yeah, hell, I've never heard of that, but I'll, I'll check it out. Cause it's, you know, That's it's a Friday night. Yeah. That's interesting. I think what you've just said to draw a parallel with the English scene about certain promoters or certain venues not wanting to take a risk on events that aren't a dead cert, that's something that happens quite a lot here and it's made it quite difficult to throw large events or get in the venues which would suit the music because right. quite, quite often, you know, you'll put a, a good proposal together and they'll just say, but I already sell out and yeah. you know and and it costs me half as much and the people drink twice as much on the bar and right. it, it makes it a difficult proposition you know and it's i think um from my perspective seeing venues who are interested in the music makes a big difference yeah and there's there's a few out here there's one called the cicada room which is perfect I mean, I've, I've been drooling over this venue for years because it's, it's, it's completely Mac Daddy. You know, it's everything's the, the red valley. It, it looks like, you know, like a, it looks like one of the clubs that you see, like in the movies that are... I'm going to send them a copy of this podcast for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you know, and it's, 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 it's upper class, you know, it's, it's, you know, red carpet dropped off by the limousine people. It's black tie event kind of a thing. It's a very, very classy establishment that will never, ever take my call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a, it, it, that happens all the time, you know, places that you think would be perfect, but mm -hmm. you know, the electro swing isn't a big enough proposition for a lot of people, unfortunately, a lot of venues and, and that's right. a shame. And I think that maybe ties in with what you were saying earlier about the description of electro swing or the, the genre name and the connotations right. of that. Because I've literally, as a bit of a, a, a bit of a litmus test with venues, phoned under one name and said, you know, I've got an electro swing night. Right. And then, did, did, you know, sorry, they're, sorry, they're busy at the moment. They're in a meeting, you know. Yeah. You, you phone back half an hour later and it's like, uh, so I'm a big house promoter and, you know, we're looking for a new venue. We've already sold X right. amount of tickets. <laughs> I'll just put you through. Oh, I've noticed that out here too. Yeah, no, I've, I've noticed out here too. Like if, <clears throat> if you say we're going to throw an electro swing night, it's like, what? Uh, no, not interested. But if you say <laughs> we're going to throw a Gatsby party, a 20s, like everybody knows what that is. And like, oh, yeah. yeah, no, that sounds wonderful. Let's do that. Exactly. Exactly. So speaking of Dapper, you know, you mentioned that that venue there that was Top Hat and Tails. Yeah. I have to ask you about the remix you just did for Barton Baker, speaking of Top Hat and Tails. So you did that for Buddha Bar and uh Yeah, so actually the, the remix I did with Barton Baker was uh called Atlantido. Yeah, it got released on Buddha Bar, which was another goal of mine from from the early aughts. Buddha Bar kind of ruled, you know, the 
the the trend setting cool world beat you know future world funk music sound of of the 20s and there was there was a radio show a very famous radio show um at the time called metropolis here in los angeles and they just played the coolest music and i was i was so into that label yeah and it was always you know it was always a dream to be on buddha bar and then uh barton baker i'm telling you man those guys are kingmakers they they open doors yeah very influential and and everybody loves them and, and if, if it can happen they can make it happen the, the lo- lovely people as well it's a, a pleasure to host them at prohibition in manchester a, a year or two back yeah we we hosted them at a music festival here in america a few years back now and yeah very lovely people backstage waiting to go on stage for one thing you know <laughs> i mean this is I've become pretty good friends with them since then, but like this was, I'm not going to say first impression, but we didn't know each other as well. Man, I really had to give them props because we're waiting to go on stage and they come out, of course, they're in their tuxes. Of course they have, <laughs> of course, <laughs> pain, you know, and every, it's dirty. Like everyone's got, you know, sweat stains under their armpits and nappy hair and, you know, cut off jeans and, but they're in their tuxedos. And I, <laughs> Bart is pouring, champagne and i i get up close to him like hey that's that's a nice cologne you're wearing what is it oh that's barton baker they had their own barton baker cologne made (laughs) so like i I give up i can't compete with this like these guys are too good (laughs) no they are the undeniable uh, bosses of the scene in my opinion and and so and so understated as well and that's what i I was saying about being lovely people because they're just they do what they do they're lovely approachable friendly you know they are so friendly and so approachable But you're right, they're bosses. Like, this, here's another really funny Barton Baker story. So they they booked us at this kind of cool underground place in Paris, and um, it was like kind of a, uh, I guess, kind of like a burlesque variety night and very classy club. I forget what it was called at this time, but you know, very very classy. <laughs> we started. This is uh, gentleman callers. We started. We started our set. We were down there with Kiwi Star. It was a really fun night with Kiwi. Nice. Barton Baker had to go somewhere in the morning. I think they were going to Japan in the morning. So they were just going to pop in for a little while and just enjoy some of the set. And so they came in and the place was packed. Every seat in the house was taken. <laughs> but as soon as Barton Baker came down the stairs, there was this one like horseshoe shaped booth that was like the perfect spot. It was like, you know, looking uh, right at the dance floor and right in front of us. And there was like five or six people in there enjoying drinks and the manager comes out and just like snaps his fingers. You guys got to get out of here. <laughs> Clears the booth so that Barton Baker could sit there. <laughs> it's like one of those like you know, gangster movie kind of moments. I could tell that they were kind of embarrassed because they're such nice guys. Yeah. But, you know, the manager of the club was not going to make Barton Baker stand or find some, you know, lesser seat to sit in. Oh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Hey, listen, we just had another question come in. Oh, and there's a lot of producers cropping up. I think uh, you, you've definitely sparked interest in the in the producer community. This one's from Andy McBain, who's asked, "Sure, how do you think electro swing will sound in 2030?" Oh, so I wow. guess this, I guess this links to the uh, what we were discussing earlier about the evolution of keeping swing fresh. So, in another 10 years, how do you think electro swing will sound? Oh boy, 
Yeah, it's impossible. <laughs> it's a to tough say. question on me. Tough question. <laughs> it's a very tough question. I think part of it is, I mean, I already feel like just from a technology standpoint, if nothing else, like, for example, this new, uh, what's it called, Spleeder? This new, like, plugin just came out that, like, it's amazing. Like, it creates stems from old recordings, and it'll divide it up. Like, these are the drums, these, this is the bass, this is the vocal. So it's a total game changer. Like, it just, you know, it's kind of a pain to install, but once you get it installed, like, you can really isolate a vocal from, like, a, a 1920s band where the way music has sounded up to this point was based on the fact that you couldn't do that. <laughs> you know, like you always yeah. had to like, you know, shelf something or filter something to kind of like isolate the vocal as much as you could or just lean into it with the weird scratchy offbeat stuff. And so like technology just keeps, like I feel like I'm drinking out of a fire hose. You know, just like <laughs> the amount of information and the rapidity with which things change and grow is so unpredictable, but also so game-changing. You know, who would have pictured wavetable synthesis, you know, 10 years ago? You know, was, you had FM and you had analog, and it was about it, you know, and things that you didn't know were going to be created come on the scene, and it changes everything. And I think that's going to get faster between now and, um, you know, 2030, for sure. And I think the thing that I haven't thought of, the thing I didn't know someone was going to invent, is gonna is gonna make all the difference, and I can't imagine what that thing is. That's uh, you're right. And every now and again, something new, like you've just mentioned, Splitter there, something new comes along, and it just pushes the game forward a whole next notch. Right. And well, there was a time when there wasn't MIDI. You know, like keyboards had to be played by a human being, and then like MIDI happened, and it was like, yeah. oh, now that changes everything. Yeah, and you know, I think in my lifetime as a producer, I think officially, I think the first track that I did was about 2001, probably bedroom producing a, a little bit before that. And okay. you know, I, I still had like a, a Yamaha sampler, like a hardware rack mount sampler. And I think it had enough memory for about four seconds. <laughs> and, 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 and now it's just like, you know, you can record hours and hours and hours, endless amounts of the highest resolution lossless audio and just have right. it at your disposal well just i mean recently i was i was making I, I wanted to i had a clap a hand clap sound that i didn't really love and i was just like this this could be so much cooler if i just layered a couple more hand claps i started i started layering and layering and layering i, I put like a metal sound in there and i put like a cough in there and i but how many did you end up with <laughs> oh, it was like a, it was like this chain with like eight different samples. <laughs> some of them were you know hard panned, and some of them were you know down the center. And and I realized that like it wasn't that long ago. You know, when I was starting out, like my first sampler, like you say, like you, you had to save the samples onto a floppy disk. You only had like a few seconds, and like a kick drum was a kick drum because that's all you had room for. You mm -hmm. could layer a kick drum, you know, twenty deep if if you wanted to. I don't know why you'd want to, but you could. And that's it's just incredible. It's it's interesting to see how you know the, the evolution of technology has changed the way that people produce. And one question which I was curious of, of sort of hearing about was your workflow, your sort of creative workflow, what you use to produce, and and how you go about it. So yeah, my, my workflow is thus: um, I generally start an idea. 
probably most likely in Ableton Live, but I also use Logic and I also use Pro Tools. Um, I'm, a big, like, I'm a big fan of Ableton Live. It's neat and it does everything you need it to, you know. You can get ideas down quickly, so I'm not surprised you're exactly. open with that. Yeah, it's a, it's a great way to start ideas and it's also, um, you know, a very intuitive composition tool. So, yeah, kind of, you know, trying different things out and laying things out is all very easy and quick. I do like, you know, some of my sample library and loop libraries and stuff that I have in other, in other DAWs. But typically, I'll start a song in Ableton, and then I will have either a musician come over to play over it. Like if I need, that's when I that's when I bring in the real musicians because usually my my final decisions are made when everything's in there, especially a vocal. Yeah. Um, so I'll I'll start kind of a a track that will establish the tempo and the key and you know, the overall flavor. And I'll try to get it as close to finished sounding as I can. And then I hand it off to, to other collaborators and wait till their parts come in. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's they, what they come up with is exactly the perfect thing. And it's just a matter of um, the song kind of writes itself. Now it's just, and I, now you're just supporting this song that's already there. And sometimes it's a little bit more of a slog than yeah. that. And you find yourself like, I know this is going to be cool. It just, I don't know, maybe I need to have somebody else come in and try something else. Or I find my, my best songs tend to be the ones that come together the fastest. But one of the songs that's coming out later this year on the full length album, man, I, I was beating my head against the wall for like two years. Like I had an idea and the idea I, I, I believed in, I didn't scrap it. I was like, no, this is still a good idea. It just hasn't quite come together yet. And I had like two different violinists play on it. I had somebody who played accordion come in and do a thing. I had a bunch of different vocals. I had some, some different horn parts put on it. And it just, it just wasn't coming together. And then one day, it just turned the corner all of a sudden, it's like, this is the coolest thing I've ever done. <laughs> like, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes, yeah, like you say, the best tracks just almost come out of nowhere. Yeah. And it doesn't seem labored. There's no elements of it you have to force. It just, like you say, writes itself. And it's. It, I, I wish they could all happen like that. <laughs> well, that's also one of those Brian Eno ideas that I've taken to heart over the years is... You know, when you have a track and you know it's pretty cool, but it's not awesome, um, you know, by muting, use that mute button, you know, just like, don't be afraid to, even if you spend a long time trying to, you know, come up with that one cool part, if it's, if the song isn't coming, like, break it down to its most essential, basic components, what is working? Is the groove working? Is the bass okay? Are the drums okay? All right, get rid of everything else and start over from there. You know, sometimes that can be a way of salvaging a song that's kind of gone tits up. Uh, I love that attitude. And I think one thing that I try to do through these podcasts is to share tips with perhaps young aspiring DJs and producers. And out of everything that you've said, that would be something that you should highlight as people 
who are aspiring into production could pay attention to. That's a fantastic tip. I have one more too, and it's funny because go for Emma, it. Drop as many as you want, mate. We've got all night. <laughs> well, this is this is one that like Emma had specifically Emma Claire. Just just to be clear, because I, I work with a couple of Emmas, but Emma had kind of just thrown out there like I'm going blind and deaf, just like staring at this track. I've been working on this track for like eight hours straight. And like, <laughs> I'm losing my perspective and I can't see the forest for the trees. Like a great strategy that I've been using lately is like a 120 minute rule. Go for it 100% for two hours. Yeah. But turn off in, turn off the Facebook, turn off the notifications, turn off the phone. Like you have to focus for real for two hours and you can accomplish in two hours undistracted, you know, what you can accomplish in eight hours totally distracted easily, you know, probably yeah. more. Foc- and, focused work blocks are a big tip, you know, to, yeah. to give your brain a chance to digest what it's doing, to rest your eyes, to, right. you know, come at a certain problem or challenge with a fresh perspective. Exactly. And to make, you know, to make it winnable, to make, to make your goals like small and simple mm-hmm. and winnable. Hey, and then I've only got two hours to work on this, or I'm only going to work on this for two hours. This is what I hope to accomplish. Yeah, and for sure. Doable. Yeah. I think work blocks are something that I use myself, but also sleeping on problems, you know, coming back to something like you just said, you can't see the wood for a trees. Sometimes just taking a bit of a, a break away from it, slightly longer than you know. Ordinarily, if I'm doing two-hour work blocks, I'll do two hours on, half hour off. But then sometimes, if you're really stumped on something, just leaving it, sleep on it, coming back to it the next day. I, yeah. you know, I found fresh inspiration doing exactly that. And it's a little bit like uh, <laughs> if you lose your keys or your wallet, rather than stressing about it, just giving it a break and then right. coming back to it and suddenly yeah. you've, given you, you've given your brain space to remember and space to solve the problem. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. 100%. So with all that discussion on production, it's uh, it would be remiss of me not to ask. We've been all locked down for a while and you guys have been as well over there. Yeah. Are your fans going to suddenly be swamped with a load of productions that you've done over the last couple of months? You've been spending all your time producing or have you... Uh, Used it as an opportunity to have a break. Uh, I'm trying to make... Okay, so something has just happened recently, which I think is making it easier to take a break, which is for a while there, A, it was spring here in LA, so it was it was rainy and chilly for a while. Right. You didn't really want to do anything, plus everything was closed anyways. <laughs> um, but recently, at least, like our parks and our beaches have opened back up, so you can just... There's somewhere to go if you need a break. Yeah. So I am trying to make an effort to, I would say for about, yeah, six to eight weeks there, I was just spending a lot of time buried in production. And, you know, some of it working on songs, but some of it just working on libraries. Some of it, you know, truncating samples and picking, picking sounds and synthesizers and learning how to use a new synthesizer and stuff like that. But uh, I think, like you say, I think uh, having some um, having a break keeps that inspiration level up. And so I've been trying to trying to go to the beach and rollerblade and take hikes and actually went in the water last week. Uh, nice. Much to my surprise, it was very pleasant. I, I thought it was going to be too cold, but it was great. <laughs> I'm trying to make because last time you were in it was so long ago. <laughs> yeah, it was. 
<laughs> so, I mean, um, you know, making an effort to spend time with like real people, you know, we're starting to, starting to socialize, but carefully, you know, we did, uh, my best friend is this guy, Brad, and a few of us got together last weekend and, um, stayed out, outside, you know, stayed in the backyard and, you know, we brought yeah. some beers and some, some salty snacks and it was good to see people in, in the flesh but still maintain some distance and still feel like you're, you're being as safe as possible. It I, takes some of the bite out of, you know, just staying home all the time. Yeah, true. But um, I can assume that through this period of time, you've, you've, you've produced one or two tracks that your fans can look forward to. Yeah. Uh, actually, it's, um, it's been good for me in that sense. I know a lot of people are, are losing their marbles, but uh I've I've actually been doing great. I, I like having some uninterrupted time to think about things and to work on things. I guess that's the introvert part of my personality coming out where I like I like to be around people, but I also it's been good for me uh because a lot of the a lot of the stuff that I you know would have been doing kind of got canceled. So I, mm-hmm. I do find myself with a chance to think about things and, and I had I would say easily like half a dozen tracks that I, that were in various forms of pre-production I feel like I might've just finished the last one. So I'm getting ready to start some new stuff, but I'm, I've, this has been great for me finishing things that I had already started. Yeah. June 5th coming up swinging came out in July. So these are all staggered by six weeks. Every six weeks we're going to come out with a new single Nice so in July we're coming out with a new one called Voodoo Queen. And then in August, we're coming out with one called Caravan, which I'm just really thrilled with, with all of that stuff. The quality of it, I feel like I've had some time to just sit there and, and get it right. I think and what then, you mentioned about spending some of your time, you know, learning how to do it'll work your way around a new sampler or a new bit of, you know, a new VST or spending a bit of time, you know, like tidying up your files and, you know, sort of what you were hinting at there. Yeah. Going through that process, it's almost self-developmental, isn't it? Cause it's something that a lot of people overlook or a lot of new producers overlook. For sure. I, th- I think workflow is really important. And I think sometimes you feel creative. You know, sometimes you're like, yeah, yeah, I want to write something. And sometimes you kind of don't like you, you have time to work on something, but yeah. maybe more of a, you know, let me work on my library kind of a day. <laughs> and I think one, one thing that I found is if you spend those down times where you, you should probably be being productive, but you're not perhaps in a creative mood rather than forcing the creativity, doing something that's going to help you next time you are feeling creative. Yeah, so if, sure. if, if all your samples are in order and everything's in check, Next time yeah. you are feeling creative, you're not going to have to spend half an hour looking for that sample that you've got in your mind <laughs> and ruining your workflow, ruining your creativity. And then it, it all sort of flows a bit more naturally then. Yeah, so absolutely. I, I respect you for uh, filling your time. Nice. nice. I, bet it's, <laughs> I bet it's fun to be outside as well, though. Yeah, it has been. It's been good to get out. I think the it's good for your emotional health it's good for your mood it's good for your you know it's good for your health your health health you know just getting some sun on the skin and all that kind of stuff so vitamin d yeah so we've just had another question come in from the electro swing facebook page everybody's favorite canadian syed who 
is always on there posting questions. Let's yeah, sure. Sayed has asked, why not focus on neo-swing sounds that will be more popular in with American audiences rather than the bass-heavy glitch on drum and bass? For the thing, I think uh, here, at least in San Francisco and L.A., where, where I live, there's a very strong underground community of very bass-heavy music. So that's right. what you hear at music festivals. That's what gets the main stage out here. Got you. Bass Nectar, you know, Glitch Mob, you know, guys like that, Ill Gates. You know, there's a handful of people that are producing that kind of music. So that's kind of what you hear when you go out. That being said, personally, I kind of take little bits and pieces from if, if I am at a music festival and I hear something that's kind of crazy, you know, I'm like, oh, wow, what was that? Like, I got to figure that out. Like, that was kind of cool. I get inspired to try things that I'm attracted to, that I'm drawn to. I'm not necessarily, of course, I want everything I do to be hugely successful, <laughs> but yeah. um, I, I can't really... I can't really make music for other people or in or in anticipation of what other people might like. Does that make sense? Yeah, I really have to just make things that I, I, I like with the belief that like, hey, if I like it, somebody else is going to like it too, right? Yeah, 100%. And I think in a way, and this is sort of contrary to what you just said, but I think the two tie in quite nicely. If you were to be focusing too strictly on swing, you'd almost close off that audience, you know, in terms of what we were saying earlier about how certain venues are a little bit put off by that electro swing bracket. Right. So, right. you know, you're trying to find that line of writing music that is true to you and true to your sound and true to what you enjoy. But at the right. same time, you can't alienate the people that it's it's for, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, I usually find myself either, you know, on a stage or, you know, performing a room of people that are kind of familiar with bass music and, and glitch music and glitch hop and that kind of stuff. So it's, it's never, um, it's never a bad move. You know, one of the other things I do when I'm playing a crowd that's maybe agnostic to electro swing, is try <laughs> to bring in, you know, one of those, one of those cool covers, you know, like, hey, you know, like, uh, yeah, I really love, um, you know, the all about that bass cover that, uh, yeah, that the jukebox does there, you know, like things like that can be a little bridge to the unknown of like, come on, guys, you got to admit, this is cool. There's a good beat. It's fun. You know, yeah. here's, a, here's a song you probably recognize. It's um, fun. It's fun and accessible. And I think that. You know, anything that, like you say, bridges that gap is is definitely going to be a positive. And uh, yeah. actually, Syed's just cropped up with another question. I'm sure I, we can guess the answer to this, but <laughs> are there any plans to come over to Canada once the pandemic is over? So I'm this weekend, I'm, I'm working with Amanda Reagan on a Toronto-based masquerade, I'm, you know, like a masquerade ball, the, the mirror ball, uh, which I'm really excited about because it's, it's getting, it's it's building some relationships with people in Canada. I've never done a proper trip to Montreal, but I've toured like when um, party like Gatsby came around. It's a German party that did very well actually in America. Another another example of of course Americans love electro swing. They just don't know it <laughs> because <Yeah. laughs> these parties were completely sold out and they're you know full of 
you know, live music and electro swing and swing dancers and, you know, that kind of thing. So, so a lot of the people actually that were, that were touring with that were from Montreal. They really kind of filled my ear with like, you got to come to Montreal. It's such a great scene. It's such a, a great nightlife city. And I was like, yeah, I'm sold. I definitely want to go. That's not an invite you're going to turn down, is it? No, no way. <laughs> so, we have a good friend, um, Elizar, who's, who's in British Columbia, who's, you know, I've been friends with for a few years now. I don't know that he's doing events out there, but it would be another like outpost station, I think, for a trip to Canada that would make that worth. Nice. Yeah. So quick change of pace before we, uh, before we start wrapping up. We're going to do a little mini quick fire round. Okay. So no thinking. Okay. Yeah, that's so- easy. <laughs> Top three things that you never go to a gig without. <laughs> okay, probably my backpack. I have a back. See, I'm I'm not one of those people who can you know remember things, so I have to put everything in one place. So <laughs> if I have my backpack, it has everything I need: all my cables, all my <laughs> all my you know MIDI controllers. So it would be my, my top three things are my backpack. That's it. The top three things, backpack. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Drink of choice, beer, wine, or spirits. Oh, I like them all. <laughs> oh, at the same time, in the same glass. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Although I have found you really can't mix red. If you're going to drink red wine, you got to just drink red wine. You really can't mix that with too many things. Yeah, that's, that's very true. I, I don't drink so much these days, but... Um, mixing red wine with other things is um a recipe for a bad head definitely you bet and what's the first thing you're gonna do as soon as lockdown is fully eased Mm, i'm picturing okay so there's a french restaurant i really like (laughs) nice (laughs) yeah i'm probably gonna go to a french restaurant like food of choice this particular french restaurant has it's off the menu so you have to go on a thursday night to get it but french food about. off menu this is like barton baker tactics this i'm telling you i'm telling you <laughs> those guys rubbed off on me yeah no they have a killer cock event that is to die for so that's excellent. What excellent so before we move on and wrap up are there any djs or producers currently which our audience might not be aware of that you think we should definitely check out say my brother from another mother uh Duke Skellington, of course, I'm sure you're aware of him, but he's he's a, a creative force to be reckoned with um, nice. from the same city. I mean, I've I've I'm a huge I've become a, a huge fan of Pisk, as I've already mentioned. I, I think his sensibilities and, and mine are very similar, but he has a a, a way of uh, just a, an incredible way of putting together like very dense zones of music if you will that that shake hands nicely and everything steps out of everything else's way and very musical and modern and fun so he's a guy every time he drops a single i'm i'm on top of that and uh definitely stay tuned for the next tracks and all leading up to the full length album release in october uh, another another grievous part of being a producer is um, a lot of times you fall in love with tracks that you're working on that maybe aren't single material. You know, there may be deeper tracks and uh, you know, I love, I love creating the dance floor bombs, but I also really enjoy doing some more artistic or, you know, less 
commercially uh, available stuff. And so that's what the album is for. All those tracks that never got released as singles wind up getting, getting put out on the album and there's some gems. So uh, in October, full length album comes out. In the meantime, we got a couple singles coming out every six weeks. I'm looking forward to hearing the album, dude. I'm looking forward to it. Thank so you. we're going to link in the comments below when we post this on social media so people can see Facebook links, etc. But where is the best place for them to listen to your music? Uh, so in the US, I usually, I mean, everyone has Spotify, so that, that definitely works. We don't really do Deezer over here or Juno, but I know it, you guys do, so it's, it's definitely available there. Nice. iTunes. I mean, anywhere that sells music or, or streams music, certainly Amazon, certainly Apple. You've no preference. Just listen to my music. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I think I, I do track Spotify um, because they encourage it. You know, as an artist, you can log in and see how many people shazammed your song and how many people played your song. And so that's a, that's yeah. a if you had to pick one, I mean, Spotify would be great because that way I know you're listening. I'm not going to name names because we've not released the interview yet, but you're not the first producer that we've spoken to ha that has said Spotify is fantastic for artists who want to track what's going on with their music. And, you know, certain people have said that Spotify has got a bit of a bad name for not paying enough and this and that. But, you know, there's actually quite a lot of people that have said, no, we value your listens on Spotify. So for those, well, of, you that have, for those of you that are listening that have been avoiding it, you know, it's a worthwhile to take note, you know, get on Spotify and that way your artists know that you're listening as well, which is, uh, it keeps especially, everyone motivated in the studio, doesn't it? Well, especially if you want that artist to come to your city, you know, because then, because <laughs> the artist can go on and it'll, it'll tell you the top 10 cities that are listening to your music as well. So you can see yeah. like, oh, so we're planning to go to Germany and it seems like there's a lot of people listening in, you know, Leipzig. So let's go there. You know, it, it can help guide your decision making when you're going on tour and if we link that with the conversation about cheesy 80s synth you know you can find right. out whether you whether you're big in japan or not exactly <laughs> and i'm waiting i am waiting to be big in japan like come on japan get on board <laughs> i want to go to japan love it well listen it's been absolutely fantastic talking to you i think uh, we're out of time now so um, nothing left to say but thank you for joining us thank you for uh, the fantastic music you've been putting out over the last few months and we can't wait to hear what's next well thanks for putting up with me it's been a pleasure all the best brother catch you soon alright man what's that you say you gotta turn on the radio okay you got to listen to Prohibition radio with Emma Claire you got to listen to Oh wow, what a great interview. Thank you to Atom and also to Nanook. It's been an absolute pleasure having him on the show. I know he's super busy, so it's lovely that he found time in his schedule to talk to us. Uh, if you'd like to listen to Atom's guest mix, then you need to search 
For the other Prohibition radio show, which is the music show, um, you can listen to that one on Mixcloud and also YouTube. So I've been Emma Clare. I should be back with you in September with another exclusive interview. Find us on Facebook, facebook.com, Prohibition MCR.